Hey there, Michael here. A quick note that this is an episode from our Patreon vault. On these patron-exclusive episodes, we tend to be a little looser, so heads up that there might be some language in this episode. Also, we released this episode to patrons on October 12th of 2021, right after we saw the movie, so our takes were coming in hot. It's my fault that we don't have a regular episode out today, so my apologies for that, but I have a good reason. As I shared the other day on Twitter, I recently began working with the video game company BioWare on the next installment of Mass Effect. Longtime listeners will have no trouble understanding why I am super excited about this. It has meant that I have a lot less free time than I did before, so the podcasting schedule has been a little bit trickier, but I think we figured it out, and moving forward, everything should be back to normal with our schedule. Knock on wood. All right. Now, without further ado, our episode on No Time to Die. Hello, patrons. Michael here with the whole team, Trisha Arand, Brian Bittner, and Alex Cayeros. How are you guys doing? Fantastic. Great. Very well. Excellent. And today we are talking about No Time to Die, the 2021 film directed by Kerry Fukunaga, screenplay by Neil Purvis, Robert Wade, Kerry Fukunaga, and Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Okay, let's <laughs> talk about it. So I'm just going to jump right in and say I had so much fun with this movie. Mm. I, this was maybe the most fun I've had in a theater since The Rise of Skywalker, and that's not to compare the quality, wow. but that is to, we all know how I feel about The Rise of Skywalker and like <laughs> the fun that I have when watching a Star Wars movie. I think there are comparisons to be made about ending a saga that we can talk about there uh, and things that might have been done right that should have been done and other <laughs> Star Wars. Anyway. Um, but yeah, I thought this was like really, really well done. I'm very glad I didn't see any of the trailers because I didn't know. Mm. I knew very little, right? I knew that there was like another 007 and that he's kind of old and retired, but like I didn't have any sense of like where the story was going to go or uh, I don't know any of that. So it was really, really fun. I really liked what they did with bond as a character and that they brought back Leia Sedu and like she had a big role like I I feel like they I feel like this movie in my opinion accomplished what all of the Craig Bonds have been trying to do like I feel like it hit the sweet spot for me anyway in terms of being super bondy but also being a really well made well fought through film and then also like wrapped it all up nicely and like said farewell to these to these movies so i have like just like five stars super happy uh loved it um trisha do, <laughs> do, do, sh should we talk do you want to wait should we go for you how do you what do you how are you feeling uh i overall feel really great um as i talked about we like any bond movie ever is like a great experience for me like even walking out of specter i was like yep yes good <laughs> love it um and you know with more hindsight i was like wow actually that's a, a bad movie despite the fact that i just was having the time of my life sitting in that movie theater um <clears throat> and i overall feel like i can't wait to see this movie again 
and I want to like I want to watch it like three more times, <laughs> mm-hmm. basically, because I just feel so close to it. Like I feel so close to it. I feel so close to the character, uh, you know, the James Bond character especially, but some of the other ones like Q and Money Penny and M, um, and even Leia Seydoux's character at this point. I'm just so like up in it and that's even without having watched a bunch of the trailers either like i watched i think the first teaser trailer and then really tried hard to avoid most of the trailers for this although there were things that i couldn't help but read in the news mostly because mm-hmm. people would just send me stuff <laughs> i was like because when, when someone knows that you're a super fan of something they're just like what do you think about lashana lynch playing 007 and you're like well no i know about that yeah. thank mm-hmm. you um but you know but I think I just feel overwhelmed. This movie is really big and really sprawly. It takes in a lot of territory. It goes a lot of places. I think it hits a bunch of different tones, although overall kind of, I think, hangs together tonally. Um, But it, it, it feels potentially pretty overwrought. And that's maybe just from its sort of place in the franchise. And I just think... I I just like my heart is so full and like <laughs> raw I guess coming out of this experience I just feel like I'm maybe too raw so like anything I say don't like write it in stone or hold me to it like sure. I I just want to experience this again and again and then I'll have some perspective that I can lend a little later right now you're gonna get piping hot takes and probably not a lot of perspective and uh that's just where we are also i just want to say that when you're a a super fan of something that the average moviegoer has only a very cursory knowledge about it is a wild experience to sit in a movie theater with just like a bunch of normies (laughs) um because and i think i just annoyed everybody around me because there are references in this movie to on her majesty's secret service Mm. Hmm. and i was just like you know had my breath taken away where i was like oh my god he just said we have all the time in the world (laughs) (laughs) and that doesn't mean anything to anybody but me you know what i mean like on your left i I like (laughs) (laughs) i like yelled not that loud but i certainly vocally reacted to a few different things in this movie that don't mean anything to anybody that isn't you know like a very old fan so like for example they filmed at goldeneye which is ian fleming's estate mm. in the caribbean oh, wow. so i'm like oh my god it's goldeneye you know and i know what that is and it looks like so it's just a very weird experience where um things hit a little differently for uh bond mega fans and there are dozens of us out there um <laughs> dozens i say <laughs> dozens <laughs> so yeah uh uh in conclusion i'm an obnoxious uh bond fan in a movie theater don't sit near me and i have no idea how i feel about this movie except i love james bond great yes understand that perspective i feel like that's a little bit how i felt uh, with Star Wars, with the Rise of Skywalker, and that we were like talking about it the very next day. That's why I watched it twice in one night, which I had forgotten about mm-hmm. until last night. Wow! I wanted to do that. <laughs> yeah. I thought about you doing that, and I was like, I know why Michael immediately <laughs> bought a ticket and went back to watch Rise of Skywalker again. Because when you have to podcast about something, 
you're just way too close to it i wish i had time i wish i'd had time to go back and watch no time to die again yeah i really want to too but okay okay cool so no pressure we're not writing down anything you say in stone understandable (laughs) thank you yeah thank you very much brian what was your take on this uh yeah very similar um just had a great time with it um for as long as it was it didn't feel overwrought and they have a, a strong sense of why that we can get into later um and you know we talked about sort of good versus fun like skyfall feels like a movie you appreciate whereas like other movies or movies you have like a like more like specters like a fun movie that's maybe not great and um and like casino royale i would say this just felt both it felt like mm-hmm. i was like i'm having a great time but now like there's a dialogue scene, but I care about it and it's a good scene and like things are happening. And, um, you know, there's, there's the cinematography was beautiful. Um, Oh yeah. The uh, you know, and there's an emotional storyline that everything is like revolving around. It's not just sort of happening over on the side. It's all connected, um, which, you know, they've been trying to do with the last few movies. And I feel like it really worked well with this one. Um, And probably my, my favorite moment was, after the opening sequence with, um, you know, with the spinning car and everything, I was like, oh, this is the trailer. Like, I I have seen the trailer, mm-hmm. basically. And now, other than maybe some snapshots or whatever, I have no idea what's coming next. I don't know that they're going to be in, like, a kind of submarine, Trisha, submarine-ish thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's not quite a submarine. But, um, and, you know, so, like, I didn't know. Obviously, like, I knew Rami Malek and, you know, Blofeld, whatever. But mostly just feeling like I... Um, like I just the exciting feeling of being 10 minutes into a three hour movie and going like, cool, I don't know what's mm-hmm. coming next. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, so yeah, mm-hmm. overall loved it. Some cheesy lines I could do without uh, maybe next to a view to the kill. One of the worst, let's get the title in there. Do you know what time it is? Oh, it is. What? No <laughs> time to die. <laughs> I just showed someone your watch. It blew his mind. Like, all right. Okay. I like that. Was a great that was fine. That was just like Bondy stuff. Yeah, but like we yeah. need, we need yeah, yeah, a couple of those. Come on. But having the title delivered by two a character, like, wow. That is funny. But yeah, there are definitely cheesy lines, but I think what I like about it is that this movie felt it had enough self-awareness happening also right. that it was like, I don't know. It didn't feel like the Skyfall like lines or like the Spectre lines sometimes mm. where like Craig has to say a pun, but totally it feels completely out of step with like right. the gorgeous cinematography and the, like the background and blah, blah, blah. I, I, I all that. have a bunch of notes about, I want to continue our what is Bond conversation from mm. Skyfall. And I have a lot mm-hmm. of thoughts about that. I won't get into it now. I want to hear what Alex thinks, but uh, but yeah, we definitely will come back to that. Yeah. I, yeah. I feel like we have to talk about what is Bond? What is Bond moving forward? What is sure. this movie yeah. set up and state? So we'll, we'll maybe try to save that for the second half and we'll, we'll see how, see where, where we go with all that. But yes, Alex, tell us about No Time to Die. Yeah. I, I feel similarly to all of you. I feel overwhelmed. I want to see it again. It was such a big movie. It reminded me of like Avengers Endgame. You know, it had Mm -hmm. that gravity Mm -hmm. and that sprawl and that we're bringing back all the characters. We're going to wrap it all up uh, in a really satisfying way. Uh, I love the directing. I love Kerry Fukunaga. He's so like just my taste as far as the way he shoots things, the way he orchestrates action scenes, uh, the way things are edited together. Uh, I, the way he uses sound, like it's just like, 
good modern filmmaking and I just really like mm-hmm. it. And I think there's something about, you know, the Sam Mendes approach to Bond, uh, which was like this gorgeous prestige approach. Uh, that was, we talked about this during the Skyfall podcast. For me, it it didn't quite mesh with what I wanted from like an action movie. You know, it, it, there was something about it that just felt a little too deliberate, a little bit too, like we're going to linger on the shot for just a little bit too long because it's so pretty. I don't feel that with this movie. I think this movie is almost equally gorgeous. It wasn't shot by Roger Deakins, but it's really gorgeous. It, it's beautifully mm-hmm. shot, mm-hmm. but I don't fe- ever feel like things are slowing down just to like luxuriate in the prestigeness. You know, it's just, right. we're, we're, like, right. it, this is going to look gorgeous and it's going to be moving, moving, moving. We're not going to be like pointing to you how prestige this is it's just gonna be prestige naturally and i think that was it almost for me it had the emotional impact i think skyfall wanted to have on me i i could feel in skyfall a lot of the movie pointing at me almost being like look this is an emotional scene like like this is about the mother and this is about the, this theme and you should feel things now and it was almost more like I'm being told to feel things, whereas in this one, for whatever reason, it snuck up on me. And I think the, you know, the the whole daughter thing, like all this stuff just kind of culminated. So I really felt something by the end. And it, mm. and it wasn't the movie telling me I should be and I'm not. It was just naturally happening. So in a, in a, it, this movie does feel like a beautiful, just like Avengers Endgame, kind of like they nailed kind of a culmination of a lot of different things that different Craig Bond movies were trying to do. This movie, I can, as best as you can maybe do in one three-hour block of time, kind of brought all those threads together and did a good version of all of them. Like, I got the Casino right. Royale fun. I got that Cuba sequence that was just pure fun. But I also yeah. got a finale, that was very, a finale that was very emotional and about Bond and about his family stuff. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I, I'm just very impressed that what an achievement it is to, to bring all those threads together and to and to nail most of them for me, at least. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's really, like you said, there's there's so much in here. There's so much to talk about. I feel like maybe one first stop that we can make is sort of coming off of your comment about um, like the Skyfall Sam Mendes approach the prestige thing i feel like part of the prestige thing is like there's a, a certain distance created mm-hmm. and i feel like this is a you know a critique of a lot of like fincher movies also is like the the precision is like there creates a distance with the audience and i feel mm-hmm. like in this movie uh like right from the beginning that first action scene and wherever the hell they are uh italy is that italy on the okay yeah, yeah. The bridge. it looks italian the bridge. yeah right and that's kind of what i assumed yeah generally um is so like visceral and I'm so in it and with the characters. Uh, So it's not like I'm watching things happen that are like lovely to look at, but I'm emotionally involved in what's happening. And so I think some of that is the directing. I think some of it is the writing also. Like I, maybe this is projection, but I felt the Phoebe Waller bridge touch throughout and I appreciated it basically everywhere (laughs) that it was where there's Mm -hmm. like women written by women. Well, they did it. And just like, like humanity given to people, like, yeah. like, like humor and, um, yeah, like not right, being like, like, like when, when Madeline says like, uh, I want to show you something. He goes, was it another kid? 
Like just like those little things, <laughs> right. it's like, exactly. it's just, it just feels like a human joke that someone would make. Right, right. Like you do that, and then you're laughing and you're having fun, and and so I feel like yeah, especially that that opening action sequence. I didn't know about the spinning car thing either. I hadn't seen that mm. in the trailer, oh, so yeah. I was like genuinely like, how are they going to get out of this? Mm. But then, like to your point, Alex, there's uh, like the use of sound, so like bulletproof glass guys right up against the window shooting the gun like pop yeah. pop pop like that tension like the sound being used to add to the tension it's also a character scene that's happening right. in this exactly. moment where bond is struggling with like can i trust this person that i love this is like my worst nightmare happening like all of that happening all at the same time is like what makes a great scene great and i feel like this movie was filled with scenes where there was a lot of layers happening like that but particularly that opening was such a great way to start a movie and get all of that going right from the get-go yeah well one of the things this film does spectacularly is provide situations to your point michael for daniel craig to show off his acting yeah (laughs) which is not something that we like think of with bond movies where it's like what about that amazing performance though, right? Like that's not what you always come away from a Bond movie saying. Um, And I think that even films like Spectre try to do this, but this movie really does it very well Mm -hmm. where they create scenes with layers Mm -hmm. that we can watch Daniel Craig like travel down through the layers and like drill down into the character. And that opening sequence is so good because when they are in the car, Madeline is pleading and trying to get through to him and you can see him going back and forth Mm -hmm. like not just what am i going to do in this situation but there's like that amazing presence to him where he's in the car and they're shooting at him but underneath of that he's in like his own inner turmoil and Mm -hmm. like i like the moments with daniel craig especially some of his best moments as bond are when he's like hurt emotionally Mm -hmm. And but still trying to be like tough, steel blue, and, yeah, yeah, and it comes through, and you can see both of those things. So, like in Casino Royale, we see that a lot after Vesper betrays him, right? He has that exact same like woundedness, yeah. but that power to him, mm-hmm. and that whole sequence really is perfect at, at just giving him like shit to work through <laughs> <laughs> while while he's like escaping from the bad guys, right? right. Yeah, this is. I think out of all the Craig Bond movies, when this one went to the opening titles, I was like, mm-hmm. damn, oh, yeah. like that <laughs> is an opening. <laughs> like that was so <laughs> goddamn good. And and it, it yeah. was like, it was a two-part opening too. It, even before that has the incredibly intense, incredibly visceral scene right. with, with Madeline. childhood yeah. Madeline. Yeah. Like yeah. God, what like a tour de force Bond movie opening. <laughs> like so much yeah. emotion mm-hmm. before the opening credits even roll. Also, how how yep. old was Rami Malek in Flashback World? <laughs> that I was really confused about this. I was like, he's right. I have timeline questions. Yeah. And like, because he's uh, like but... full grown, fully grown back then, but not that right. old now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I want to respond to all this real quick. I want to say that uh, DP was Linus Sandgren, who also did. Um, American Hustle and First Man and La La Land. So nice. it's like, okay, mm-hmm. yep, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think I was thinking about like, why do sort of these big finales often feel overwrought? Like, forget about Endgame because Endgame is like, it is what it is. Like the whole MCU is like nothing else, right? But Rise of Skywalker, I think is a good example where it's just like, 
there's there's seven new characters who weren't in the last two movies, some of whom are from the previous, some of whom are brand new. And most of them don't really matter in any way. Like, and they're just sort of like side characters for someone to talk to. And so, and like, there's a lot of like MacGuffin-y stuff. So we got to go get the Wayfinder to go to the place and that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. I think what was great about this was that every plot point and every character was all tied around this central thing of Bond's relationship with Madeline and then obviously um, uh, Mathilde. Um, and so, as, like, as you were saying, Trisha, it's like even just that opening sequence, it's like, okay, we have an action scene, but it starts at Vesper's tomb. Like, so Bond is, you know, is is healing from something. But then where's Madeline? Like, he's got to go save her. And then, wait a minute, did she betray him? Now he's got to figure that out. And then if you look at the entire plot of the movie, is there stuff that could have been cut? Is there stuff? Sure, whatever. But like every... You know, Felix doesn't just show up on the side. Felix is like the person who gets Bond kind of back in the game. And then obviously like the CIA and MI6 are sort of having their their back and forth. And then the villain, his whole thing is about Madeline. And then Blofeld is, you know, his whole thing. It like So just everything feels like it is all tied around this central emotional storyline and all of the plot pieces and characters feel like they are all they're all in the same story and not just like, how do we get a Felix cameo in here? How do we get even like Ana de Armas mm-hmm. who shows up for a fun little knives out reunion. It's still <laughs> like, okay, maybe this does this character like c- could be scrapped from the movie easily, but it's also like the most fun scene in the movie. You know what I mean? Like, so it's just, everything feels very centralized and, um, and, and like it, so I don't ever feel like, ugh, we have to get through this thing to get to the next thing or whatever. It all just feels like it's part of the same story. And that was really, really good. Yeah. This episode of Beyond the Screenplay is sponsored by Curiosity Stream and Nebula. Curiosity Stream is the best place to find thousands of great documentaries on all kinds of subjects. For example, right now they're doing an eight-week special event called Secrets of the Universe. This series features new documentaries about the James Webb Space Telescope, NASA's first space station, searching for Earth-like planets, and more. It's a great way to learn about the history and future of space travel. An annual plan for CuriosityStream is less than $15 a year when you sign up at our link, curiositystream.com screenplay. But it gets even better. When you sign up at that link, you also get complimentary access to Nebula. Nebula is a subscription streaming service where you can support your favorite creators while getting access to a bunch of exclusive content. It was created by and features a bunch of educational-ish YouTubers, many of whom you probably know. Patrick H. Willems, Just Right, Like Stories of Old, Game Maker's Toolkit, Thomas Flight, and many more. It's a place where we can create experimental content without having to please the algorithm gods. There are no sponsor spots, and you can get extended cuts of public videos, as well as original companion videos and series. It's a great way to support your favorite creators, and, as I mentioned, when you sign up for CuriosityStream, you get access to Nebula as well. So head to CuriosityStream.com screenplay to get access to Nebula and CuriosityStream for less than $15 a year. The link is in the show notes or on screen right now if you're watching on YouTube. Thanks to CuriosityStream for sponsoring Beyond the Screenplay. Yeah, so to respond to that quickly, Brian, 
I have mixed feelings about the thing that you're describing mm -hmm. because I think one of the symptoms of a kind of Bond movie that I tend not to like as much is the overly scheming, like overly planned villain trope almost, mm -hmm. which I feel like Spectre is the worst example and worst offender of this, where it's like somehow Christoph Waltz's version of Blofeld has overly schemed everything to lead Bond here for his personal tort psychological torture like the megalomaniac's plan is somehow also intimately involved in wanting to harm Bond personally of course I mm -hmm. I just find that kind of villain pretty unbelievable where if you know somebody like Silva in Skyfall his plan is to get M and it happens to bring him into conflict with Bond. And he happens to know quite a bit about Bond, but he's not necessarily concerned. He has a goal apart from Bond and right. he's not necessarily overly concerned with harming Bond psychologically, personally, or just like hurting Bond's feelings. I don't know. Somehow when a, when a Bond villain is like, <laughs> I'm going to hurt his feelings. Yeah. I, I always get a little bit like, okay like and then also you're gonna turn millions of people into a virus right okay, yeah to to do what why yeah. <laughs> anyway there, there's just a lot and so my my thought on this was having um rami malik's character his name is uh Saffin. thank you having Lucifer. <laughs> it is a pretty good Bond villain name. Um, yeah. <laughs> but having Safin have a personal connection to Madeline gets mm -hmm. you some interesting scenes. Right. It gets you some really interesting, it gets you that lovely, very beautifully shot sort of, yeah, meaty opening part for Madeline. Um, and it gives Madeline a really interesting dimensionality and a lot to do in this movie, which I think is a good thing overall. And it gets you some of the, like, we have to involve Madeline later on because he's going to come back to get her, right? He's, like, overly concerned with this whole thing. But at the same time, it strains credulity and in, not in a fun, like, the villain, yeah, has a laser beam in space. Not in that kind of a strains credulity way, but in, like, a villains that are concerned with Bond's psychological state or who he's in love with always seem a little bit unbelievable to me or just a little bit convenient and especially when they're overly plotting to that end um and i feel like this movie really comes close to some of that stuff that that i don't like but at the same time i'm not sure how i would have i'm not sure how i would have done it differently like i wonder if there's a way to clean up safin's plan so that it still has to involve madeline but it doesn't have to be like he was the assassin from way back then. I, I I think there's just like some convenience things there that I feel like you could have neatened up a bit. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. And um, because it's like yeah, it's it's very Bond villainy kind of stuff. But I think it's the the tricky thing, especially for this final movie where where it's like you want everything to be right, it's like yeah. emotionally tied to to what Bond's emotional through line is. Um. You know, because the other end of that spectrum is like the love interest is like at home waiting, really hoping that the hero get, comes home or whatever, where it's like they're not involved in the plot at all. 
so and it's like really hard to find that middle ground where it's like they are involved in the plot but they're not it's not this like thing of the person being like i want to hurt your family because you hurt my family kind of thing um so so yeah it's it is very bond villainy but at the same time it is like i think it's like the necessary evil um you know suspension of disbelief you need or not you need i'm not saying it could have been done better but just to be like we want madeline to be as focal in this movie as possible and we want bond's emotional journey to be as focal as possible so hence the villain is going to have like that is going to be his goal uh that kind of thing i think i think for me the problem is just how muddy the overall villain plan is you know i think Thank for right because right. i think i think you know once again yeah in skyfall you're right trisha like it's it the plan is about m's and and james bond cares about m so that that's already just that's the whole plan in this movie we we have a lot of different different threads with Safin. There's this feeling that you know, yeah, Mr. White, uh, Madeline's father, killed his whole family, so he was out for revenge. But then he saved her and has kind of like an affection for her or something. Obsession. Um, obsession. Mm-hmm. But then, but then also, does is any of that related to his like? weirdly prescient like pandemic plan uh <laughs> right, right like the screenwriters of this movie must have been like really weirded out when the near the premiere date it was like right. we can't premiere this movie because of a global pandemic yeah uh, now we understand why they kept pushing it back right so right far. yeah no there's somebody was tweeting they were like uh now i think i understand why this couldn't come out at all last year yeah. <laughs> um but but I don't I and I may have been said in the film, but it was just hard to hear some of the audio or the dialogue. But I don't I still don't understand how it's all connected. Like, how was the death of his family at the hands of Mr. White? Uh, how did that lead him to want to uh, destroy entire populations uh, to tidy up the world uh, or something and and does this how does this tie back to madeline uh, right so it, that, that's what's frustrating is uh, like it, it's almost all there but that was the one part of like the final act that didn't land for me was uh, what is this all about ultimately for this villain character like he seems to have different desires that are not connected maybe they are and i missed it but but it was annoying that it wasn't clear to me also if they're using nanobots to uh, spread a <laughs> pandemic, do you have to like grow nanobots in like a liquid goop uh, in a giant pool? Or like, I was also really confused about that whole finale. Like, what is this place? What is the technology? What are they like? What What is the organic thing they seem to be growing here? If the thing that they're doing is robots, anyway. So yeah, the whole finale. I was I was really. I was half I was half in half out because I was so confused about what this place even was, how it functions, and why. Like, why does he want to unleash a gigantic pandemic on the whole world and kill everybody? I, yeah. So there's some really fun editorializing that somebody did who wrote the Wikipedia article for like summarizing <laughs> the plot of this. <laughs> um, which I recommend everybody go to read because the next day I was like, hang on. I need to go back and read the Wikipedia summary of this entire plot. And the somebody wrote like, despite having succeeded in his mission at killing Blofeld and taking down Spectre, Safin continues his rampage. <laughs> like, <laughs> there is a certain point in the movie where you're like, yep, he got his revenge. Now what's he doing? Yeah. And like, in like, you're going to kill everybody. Is that the end of your plot? Like, 
what happens after that? And then there's like an ideological ideological piece, right? Where it's like he's trying to establish some kind of new world order, new society. But but like it's to what very end? Vague. Yeah, it's so vague. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't get the sense that he was gonna kill everybody, but just like you have the ability to kill everybody and whomever you want, and you're gonna sell that to nations and blah blah blah. Right. But I do feel like the I agree that the villain in this is absolutely the weakest part of the movie. Yeah. I think yes. for me, if you were going to pick a thing to make the weakest part in service of everything else, I'm very happy that it was Safin. I think that's Because fair. I usually don't care about the villain's plan. Or like, mm. the, like the villain's plan in a movie like this is usually some crazy big thing of like, we're going to hack all the the satellites or we're gonna launch uh-huh. all the, like it's always some we're gonna do a whole bunch of bad to everything <laughs> and james bond is gonna stop it in the end so like i probably just personally didn't care that much about the like the machinations of how it all worked i agree that it didn't make sense and i didn't understand or follow his connection to it but i also didn't care because i was so involved with what was going on with bond and uh i think there was enough stakes with the you know cutting to m and q and money penny like in the office like there's political pressure i don't exactly understand why or what's going to happen but it's bad and they're really worried and like getting that internet cutting was going so i i agree that the villain is weak but i think it is he's i'm so happy that they didn't spend another 20 minutes making me try to understand or care about his thing because there was so much else happening in this movie that i did care about that we did get time with yeah i mean he does have one of the least eventful deaths of any villain in (laughs) any bond you're just like (laughs) the most yeah uh forget about this guy he doesn't matter moments for a death for Safin. but i just think the only thing that really annoys me about it is um i agree with you I just don't know why they had to connect him to Madeline so much. Like he could have just kidnapped her and that would have been like, and not have a, had a personal history with her. Right. Like, I just think the personal history piece makes his plan act like it's more important than it is, which draws your attention to some of the plot hole things that it doesn't need to draw your attention to. Um, But at the same time, like I said, we get all of this good stuff out of it. Like we get all these like weighty emotional moments out of it for everybody involved that make this, you know, really compelling to watch where it's like there's there is it feels like especially for Bond and for Madeline, there's like a lot of baggage and that kind of whereas is where the theme you know, kind of lives and exists in this movie, which I think is really fascinating and I want to get to. So you get a lot of good stuff out of that choice, but at the same time, the choice is calling attention to the sillier, bondier plot elements um, that I feel like you should just definitely brush over with the lightest touch possible in in almost any Bond movie. (laughs) Like, don't worry about what the villain's plan is, so then don't make it about the villain's plan. Well, it's weird because I feel like his connection to Madeline, I really liked and I thought made sense. Yeah, and same. it was cool to, you know, Inspector, we hear her tell the story of like, you know, how she knows how to use a gun. So it was mm-hmm. fun. I'm glad I rewatched Inspector because I wouldn't have right. thought that like, oh, we're getting to see that moment. And that's actually setting up the bad guy for this one. So his connection to her, I think, made sense to me. But when it his caring about Bond and like her past using her to kill Blofeld 
that's when I'm I started feeling all the things you're talking about of like why is he so emotionally invested in yeah Bond's headspace at any given time or Bond's <laughs> family and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's funny because it's almost like we're bumping on different parts of the villain, but it, right. it, it seems like generally there's, <laughs> there's, there's something bumpy here. But yeah, for yeah. me, and maybe this is because I'm too into the nerdy sci-fi stuff, um, it seemed like there was like something thematic trying to be said because this is a very particular technology that they're using where it's like genetic yeah. and DNA and like this can wipe out like like genetic populations like gen like very genocide right. i mean like, a, a virus is, yeah. that can target a specific person yeah but like or, will, can or be race by anyone. or like genetic traits right. I mean, it was, and in, the, even the russian scientist even says something to uh 007 006 know me whatever her, yeah. her <laughs> yeah, name me. is by the end um yeah about like you know i could wipe out all of west africa or something like, it's it was, it was getting into this interesting very uh gnarly place of talking about like using this stuff for genocide so anyway th- that was just where i was uh, it felt like they tiptoed enough into like really uh touchy interesting themes with this type of super weapon like it's not just a giant laser to blow up the world it's about dna and genetics and familial ties and anyway it seemed like there was there was a lot of specificity in that and then and to have it not for the villain for me to not understand why the villain cares about that specificity by the end was just a little bit bewildering. Mm-hmm. Like, 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 why are mm-hmm. you invested in this technology and propagating it and like mass manufacturing it here? What's your ideology? Like, why right. do you believe in yeah. this technology? I, I agree that it, that is one of the bumps for sure. That doesn't make sense. I think for me, it does work. And I think this is where we can maybe like start bringing in theme because I feel like as soon as I started explaining how the technology works and what it was, I was like, oh, this is like the theme in weapon form. Like this is all designed to make things really hard for Bond and also set up this uh, like a, a physical expression of how I read this anyway of like Bond kills the people he touches like He's literally, that. Yeah. literally yeah, 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 the yeah. end is literally that like <laughs> right yeah and i just i so as soon as they started talking about that because they'd kind of raised hints about this and you mm-hmm. know it's, it's a conversation already about bond i was like oh okay we're going there we're gonna mm. talk about like can bond exist now can he right. love, can he have a family can any of these like, things like exist if Bond is a Bond is alive, and like the solution is like no, like Bond will kill anyone he touches. So if he actually cares about something, he has to not be there. Like I think that that the thematic exploration and statement was like so big and bold, and I was just like, wow, you went there. That's so cool that it everything that was connected to that like got a pass for me because of what mm. it was doing thematically. Mm. Yeah, sure. and i I think it's I think it's such a fascinating 
and I agree, really bold and and refreshing choice for a theme. And it's on the nose, but the literalization of like, no, Bond is toxic and like him (laughs) recognizing that he needs to remove himself from the lives of people that he cares about um, is a very strong conclusion, thematic conclusion for this movie. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that it becomes like a little bit of a just a a meta thing about legacy as well right like there's a generational thing happening for everyone like i think even m is in this position where he's looking at his choices and his legacy um and the legacy of like the office that he's inherited you know Mm -hmm. and stepped into Mm -hmm. and they've got all those portraits the oil portraits on the wall Mm -hmm. of all the like m's that that there have ever been which is fun um but yeah, it's there's this like question of legacy of like what do we inherit and if it is toxic, like what do we do with that? And you know, that's that's again, that's what I was kind of saying what you get from having this backstory for Safin and this backstory for Madeline. Like Madeline also inherited something toxic from her father who mm. was involved in this organization with Blofeld and he inherited something toxic from his father. Like Blofeld's father is the one that he blames for his whole thing mm. and like um it the movie is definitely reminding us of those themes of legacy and like what we inherit from the generations that have gone before us. And so as a conclusion for this chapter of the bond franchise, I give yes, like (laughs) very cool. Like what a cool thematic conversation to do. I think that it, the movie is imperfect and doesn't, you know, all the way hold together thematically. And like also just is messy overall um as we're pointing out with like this sort of bumpy villain situation and there's like other i i have other bumps in here as well um but by the end i'm just like oh hell yeah yeah and it was can i just <laughs> talk about how cool it was also to see in the last scene where they're like drinking a toast to james bond like looking in this office where we have like m who kind of looks like a classic standard m from like old bond movies but right. two women of color in that room and then they also like sort of made q being gay canon Mm -hmm, in this movie yeah i love (laughs) that i'm just like this is cool that these are the people that are left and james bond is not here anymore and this is like kind of where we are now with the franchise i was just really moved by all of that yeah and if you are not why are you listening to this podcast? Um, <laughs> yeah, because there are those people who are very vocal right now about this movie. Um, no, but it does it does bring up this sort of idea of um, uh, you know going back to the the idea of the question of what is Bond uh, that we're talking about in Skyfall. Because I was thinking, you know, we have this. We talked about this with like Crystal Skull, where we have this like, well, here's what movies are now. So we don't mm. want movies that aren't that unless they do it in like some amazing way or whatever so i I was thinking like what about for instance if we look at very micro what about the anna de armas sequence isn't like a rebecca ferguson fight from mission impossible uh rogue nation for instance forget about the context and the characters but just like the actual action sequence you know what about the motorcycle chase at the beginning isn't just a born action scene you know so it's like we are getting sort of cut and paste a little with those those very surface level things but then when you zoom out and it's like well who is bond that ethan hunt or jason Bourne isn't you know and again that's where we get into this theme 
he kills the people around him. Like that's, that is a thing that happens way more in bond movies than those other franchises is like everyone dies all the time. And, uh, and like you were saying, Michael, like, can he even have, like, I want to see bond and his family go live on an Island somewhere, but is that even possible? Or like, will it always, you know? Um, And then you get the, the other sort of surface level things, which, and maybe this is why Safin is a little messy is because they are trying to, to incorporate. And I think they did it really beautifully all these bond things into this movie. So you have the layer, you have the villain with like the big plan. That's like, you know, we want it to be emotional and personal to bond, but we also want it to be like end of the world type stuff. So we kind of have to do everything at once. Um, But then there's also just other bond things, you know, gadgets and some camp. We get like, we get henchman inspector in this, which we didn't really get in the first three movies. We got Mm -hmm. Dave Bautista. Mm -hmm. We got eye boy. Um, (laughs) So many, Cyclops, right. things. Yeah. yeah, his yeah. name is Cyclops. Uh, like, come on now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, what else are you gonna call him? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I was thinking, um, like that's, and if you look at Quantum of Solace, which is a movie that I like, but it it's not a Bond movie, right? Like, there's right. so little about right. it that has Bond stuff. So, could you? replace bond with jason bourne and do the exact same movie you know you couldn't totally obviously but like how much of quantum of solace is like oh this has to be a this is bond and i think no time to die did a really good job of being like every bond thing you can think of is is here even just Mm -hmm. like the color palette of the third act and in that underground it just felt like there's like a 60sness to it and and that kind of thing so i think that was something i was really appreciating was being able to say like well if we are in this franchise there are things people expect. So like, how do we get them in here while also making a 2021 or 2020 at the time, obviously a uh, movie that, that feels current and relevant. And I think it, I, you know, for some flaws, it did a really solid job of that. Mm-hmm. The idea of a Blofeld birthday party is like the most old school. <laughs> I was like, can we have a Blofeld birthday? Okay. Well, that, that, that Cuba scene was a lot of fun because oh, yeah. so much fun. from top to bottom, the whole Cuba sequence was just a blast. And it, it's, yeah. it's what you want in that kind of, second act like fun and games part of the movie you want just like to just have some fun for a while before things get really dark and heavy and, and the stakes are really high and i mean can we talk about anna's armas for a minute like yeah I just, please why can't she just be in the rest of this movie too like she's just she's just right. so much fun what a great approach to a bond girl where she's she has like she's doing kind of her knives out thing almost of like uh, I'm a little yeah. nervous and kind of new at this, but then I also I also total, totally kick ass and I'm look so cool fighting in this dress. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm um, waiting for 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 you know Bond to just be like you are a good spy. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but but that cue thing was I really appreciated because even the the moment when the eye is on the platter and the spotlights go uh-huh. on Bond, it. It it it, it go, it's going to a place that Skyfall would never have gone to, you know. Like right. Skyfall was too serious for this, but but this right. movie is attempting to tonally balance all the Bond things and somehow getting away with it in a really remarkable way. Like I, I was eased into that Cuba sequence in a way where it didn't feel like there was a sudden left turn and I was kind of whoa, what movie are we in? And I was like eased out of it into the more serious stuff with oh my god maybe i have a daughter oh my god now we're being chased and she's being abducted the movie made those transitions in a smooth enough way that i didn't have whiplash and mm-hmm. and, and it does and it does like once again i think endgame is this recent example of a movie that just does 
impossibly does all the things that it shouldn't be able to do all in one movie, but it just pulls it off. And this is one of those movies where it's it's going to feel a bit messy inevitably because it's just doing so much. But damn, it did it all. And it did it without <laughs> giving me whiplash and without feeling like a total mess. You know, like it, it it's just a really remarkable achievement. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think exactly like you guys were saying, and it's, yeah, it's almost like within this movie, and this is why, as we're saying, I want to see it again to like better track this, but it is like, there are moments that feel Casino Royale, there are moments like the Cuba scene that feels like old school Bond, like we're going to walk around a party and we're going to have radios (laughs) and everyone's going to look amazing and they're in their suits and their dresses and then we're going to fight and shoot things. But then it goes to like, yeah, the relationship place with like Madeline and Spectre and then it goes to this new, like Bond has a daughter, what do we do with that? And by the end, the the one thought I was having was like uh, around the time that like Bond was you know effectively like driving like a minivan away from the bad guys <laughs> with like his family in the back I was like this doesn't feel like Bond anymore because this is something that Bond has never done before right and I I like that but I also could feel the decoupling of like okay we've this is not a normal Bond thing anymore we're doing something new I think that's cool but I'm kind of left with and this is kind of maybe the the last thing I want to like hear all your guys' thoughts about is like, what does this mean for Bond moving forward? Because I think that the boldness of the theme and how it ends feels like it's it's almost like the uh, the death knell of like what Bond like. Can we have a Bond if we've just kind of decided that Bond, as historically executed? is toxic and like leaves <laughs> behind a, a path of destruction and isn't you know is this a hero still that we can have is there room for bond james bond moving mm-hmm. forward i i almost expected i was like what if this movie ends and then you know we cut to black and then text comes on screen that says like this is the final james bond movie from the broccolis like we you know right we've had a great time with this and and thank you or something like that um and that would have been like ballsy you know but i I went into this movie being like oh this is the first time bond could die and i and i knew that that was a possibility the second he i didn't even know it was the doo-doo the second he looked down i was like "Uh (laughs) uh-oh like if we are like he's like i'm gonna escape but like wait something's wrong and i was like i don't even know what's wrong yet but like we're, we're this is happening um and i think what's beautiful though about these five films is that this like what better way to say these five films are their own standalone story. The very first mm-hmm. scene of Casino Royale is Bond getting his 007 status. The very final scene, you know, or finale of No Time to Die is the death of James Bond. Um, but then after the credits, text comes on screen, James Bond will return, you know, so like we'll see what that means. Um, but Was I, that but there? I, yeah, I, I yeah. That. Yeah, at the very end, oh, yeah. I, Oh, I totally missed that. Wow. I was hoping uh, and praying it would say 007 will return. Right. But it said James Bond will return. Right. Um, yeah. And and that so that brings us to the next thing is like, I personally, so it's like, yeah, what is the future of James Bond? Obviously, I personally am more interested in seeing, like you said, Trisha, like, well, we still have this cast of characters. So like, now we can have the JBU, right? Where it's just like we get the <laughs> we get the 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 new 007, you know, 
know me uh, <laughs> movie <laughs> uh-huh. and uh, who like I loved her character, but her character was so sort of flat yeah. for the first two acts because she was yeah. just sort of like the foil. And then in the third act, it was like, oh, OK, cool. I like you now. Like, I want to see more of you or like we get the Money Penny movie. We get the whatever. Uh, and we just get like MI6, the the something, the series or the whatever. Um, but inevitably, there will be a new James Bond. But even if even if we bring back these actors and we say, oh, there's a new James Bond uh, and Ray Fiennes is playing M again and whatever, it, it, it like it is still they still did it where they said these five films are these five films, period. And I think that is something that's really cool and special. And like for us who have lived with these movies from uh, our like early twenties to now, it's like, even if we grew up with like Pierce Brosnan and stuff, it's like, this feels like the same people, the infinity saga, the same way the infinity saga feels like this 10 years of some people's lives. Like this was 15 years of our life. Just this one story that was told over five films, whatever happens next I'm I'm interested, but it is always going to be separated from this this complete story that was told over these films. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I have about a million thoughts and feelings about all of this. Um, <laughs> so, but I'll I'll try to keep them all together, I guess, or like moving in one direction because I'm really conflicted. Um, because this you know, is textually, as I said, dealing with the legacy of James Bond. Um, and I I love the choice to give him a child. I think mm-hmm. it is unrealistic to act like James Bond doesn't have many children running around the world. <laughs> I was like, why did nobody do this before? Of course he has kids. Like, <laughs> um, although not because women, the women always die. Um, <clears throat> but right but i i love the choice here it's a simple one although madeline like it's not she's not yours i'm like girl please Um, (laughs) like why is she in this movie if she's not his um but yeah i love the choice there it's really simple and really beautiful and makes the entire last act of this movie just my heart is in my throat the entire time I'm like yeah. nothing bad better ever happened to that child yeah. ever ever mm-hmm. and any scene that she is in it just it's just the simplest ingredient that gives every scene this tension even though i don't think the movie's gonna hurt her i still am with the character enough where my heart is just sick with worry. Mm. Right. I feel like that that scene where they're driving away, the car chase that then becomes Bond as Rambo in the fort, like all of that works, <laughs> even though it doesn't like feel classic Bond action scene. I'm so in it because the stakes are so high and it's like you're watching Bond protect his family, which you've never like seen before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Continue. When that scene like was was taking off, it was it was thrilling because it was like we just crossed a threshold here like this is i've never seen bond like fight for this like for this like the stakes the stakes are like infinitely higher suddenly and it yeah that uh, that was a really cool feeling and part of why yeah i do almost wish this was was the final james bond movie like like why can't this be the end like this is what a great ending and he he crossed this final threshold. Like, where else is there to go now? Mm. Trisha, where do we go now? <laughs> well, that's the thing that, that I don't know. I mean, you know, in a normal and worse version of this <clears throat> in the Anna Jones 4, you give him a son, right? And then, right. like, there's a son, and you try to do, like, a handoff, and 
Um, they it's very possible that they are gonna make Matilde like a spy and down mm. the line, you know, and that's kind of and Michael, you're looking like you might you might well, be into that. I just feel like if you're ending this movie with this kind of theme of like like all the bad things that come with being a double O agent, it also like would make me a little bit sad if like his daughter right. then grows up to be a trained right. assassin also. That's exactly what I was gonna say. Is like yeah. that that's the easy and like kind of bad choice that i don't want and that's kind of why i love that it's a daughter where that's i feel like not so likely and and especially because we see the links that madeline has gone to to like protect her and keep her away from james bond and keep her out of this world and try to keep her safe um and all of this stuff and so i i don't want it to go that direction i wish that here's what i would do if i were the broccolis i'm not the broccolis um but if you are if you are obligated to financially protect your franchise which you are and yet you have in a really remarkable way faced head on the legacy uh of this character and this world that you've created then i think keeping the spy movie thing going is something that you can and probably should do. So having another character play 007 and, or somebody like Nomi, like it doesn't Mm -hmm. necessarily have to be her, but somebody like her, you could even do like, you know, obviously Paloma is being set up as the new Felix lighter, which is really cool. Like Mm -hmm. I, I want like the Nomi and Paloma movie where they're like, (laughs) bonding and, and felix lightering around um doing international espionage i would watch the hell out of that um but i think it would be cool to introduce a new bond in a spin-off movie like so if you have a mm. movie that you're just like this is not a james bond movie this is an mi6 movie right it's got some of your bond characters in it maybe money pennies in it or q or whoever like this is an mi6 movie just come along with us for the ride and then like introduce a character who can become james bond in that movie right that create helps to create that like continuity feeling that you probably want from like an mi6 universe or a 007 universe and it avoids like the whole big casting uproar controversy thing that you are gonna get i mean people will still do it and you won't be able to keep it a surprise and it'll still be like a whole big thing if you try to do it this way but at least it would like instead of forcing that character to carry his own movie the first time he walks out on screen you kind of would give him a place to exist that doesn't hang it all on him it just i think would expand our imaginations but also just give that character more room to play and be his own version of the character where he can go places and do things that James Bond, as we know him, maybe he's even called James Bond, but just give him some more space, like expand the boundaries of who and what the character is. Right. I think that's probably what I would do. Yeah. Real quick. It's funny. Cause, cause normally it's like in most franchises, you're either going to do a complete clean reboot and be like, here's this character again and whatever, 
or you're going to introduce like a new 007 who is not James Bond and, and be like, oh, we're still in this world. But as we talked about in Skyfall, like this is this weird franchise where you just kind of do whatever you, you do want. Whatever. So <laughs> right. like, remember how James Bond died last movie? Well, here's James Bond played by this other right. person who like does that other one doesn't exist in this, even though the characters do like whatever. So it's it's this weird franchise where they can kind of do whatever they want. And uh, and I have faith that they'll that they'll figure it out. They're not going to just I'm go so back to, to see. Yeah. They, they put themselves in a bit of a bind because they did have such a MCU style world building continuity in these five films that mm-hmm. didn't exist in the previous. Films. Exactly. So you, could, right. so you could just jump from, you know, Brosnan to Daniel Craig, but M is still the same actress, you know? Right. But can you do that with what they've built here? Because this is so much more of like a tangible, you know, continuity type of world. Is it weird for money penny, played by Nomi Harris to walk into a room and say, hi, James, to like a new actor who right. like, if, if like she like listened to him die in the previous movie, like I, I don't kind of like it. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of why I like this franchise. I, I, for the record, I don't think they're going to do that. Mm-hmm. I agree with yeah. you. It's probably not what modern audiences want, but as a person who doesn't watch TV or like it that much, and I'm not really here for long form storytelling, I'm kind of like, ah, start over <laughs> i don't know right. i don't i don't need all the baggage is the thing like yeah. what if you just mm-hmm. came at it clean and and what if wouldn't it be like a cool move to without like having to bring along a bunch of shit from the past you could make a new cool spy franchise right. a new cool spy franchise that you could you could bring some of the best parts of what bond is and explode all the rest of it let it die on that island in the with the silo doors that are open now. Like, let it die there. He got shot so many times before he did that. I just need I just need to say that so many gunshot wounds before you gave up your life that way. Um, but if you could just leave behind all of that stuff and really build something new with all the stuff that you want and none of the stuff you don't in a way that Casino Royale, I think did pretty well. Like mm-hmm. I want another sort of Casino Royale kind of reboot of this, but I don't think I'm going to get that. I think I'm going to get something in the middle. Mm-hmm. It'll be very interesting to see where it all goes. And it is interesting that we're kind of at this point and culture where these big sagas that have either been reprising things like Star Wars or continuing things like James Bond, or creating new things and then finishing them like Endgame and the MCU, now that they've kind of finished their big things, like what happens next? And that that's kind of interesting to see the different approaches that are emerging in the Star Warses and the MCUs and different mediums and all that stuff. So it'll be very interesting to see where James Bond goes from here. There's so much that we could keep talking about. I like we talked about the cinematography a little bit. I wanted to oh just God. shout out the like James Bond going up the stairs, uh, like you know simulated long take, long take was yeah. pretty oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. It felt very um, the true detective, uh, true detective, yeah. and then uh, Atomic Blonde also has oh, this very yeah. famous like long. But I feel like it was really nice. It reminded me a little bit of there's a game called Metal Gear Solid, and in like episode, like the fourth Metal Gear Solid, which is kind of like about the end of this character's journey, you're, he's like dying of radiation, and you're playing him, and you're just like getting him to crawl like barely to the next thing. 
And as the player, you have to mash the button as fast as you can mm. for like 90 seconds straight. So like physically you feel the like this, the exhaustion as he's moving forward. I feel like that long take did that for me as an audience <laughs> with James Bond. I'm like, uh-huh. he's doing so much work right now to like save the world. And then like Q calls and he's just like, yeah, I'm here. Like, like it made you feel <laughs> yeah. a little bit that the experience of what it must be like to be Bond actually having to do these things. So, right. Anyway, lots of really fun things in this movie. Uh, I'm excited to watch it again, and we'll have to see, yeah, where James Bond goes from here. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode, and we will see you in the next one. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.